Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, <laughs> why don't you give them a shot you can find a therapist that you can connect with their resource is thousands of therapists well-trained and experienced you can keep looking until you find someone that you click with they have customized online therapy they do offer videos but they also offer phone and live chat sessions so you don't even have to be seen you can only be heard what are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Okay, he's going to pop in. JB. <gasps> Look, we have pictures and everything. Sebastián. No te oigo, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien, no me oyes, ¿qué? ¿Qué pasó? El rey, el rey Jorge, ¿cómo estás? <risa> Good morning. <risa> Tenemos algunos problemas uh, técnicos acá, pero yeah, muy problemas. Uh, che, uh, no te oigo, pero espero que, te, que estés bien y que buenísimo. I don't know. You're looking at me like I yes, yes. understand all of the things. I don't understand all the Spanish things. <risa> I understand your corazón. I love you. That's all you need to understand. That's right. That's right. Hi, everybody. Today's guest started out as a backup dancer from Michael Jackson. And he worked his way up to the king. He is an actor, a singer, director, choreographer, voiceover artist, and producer. He was on Broadway in In the Heights, The Goodbye Girl, Men of La Mancha, Kiss of the Spider Woman, and The Mystery of Edwin Drew, just to name a few. And he is now starring as King George III in the national touring company of Hamilton. Please welcome Rick Negron. Rick Negron to stage, please. Can we have Rick to stage, please? <laughs> mama say, Mama Sama Makusa. Mama say, Mama Sama Makusa. <laughs> All right, so just start with the funky chicken story, please. Do you know this oh, story, right. Steph? Oh, you got to tell this story, Rick. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite, favorite story. And God, you, when you've been in the business as long as I have, you have a, a lot of freaking stories. <laughs> so a little known choreographer named Sergio Trujillo. Oh, uh, interesting. <laughs> What a he, hack. Right, what a hack. A Tony Award winner, Sergio Trujillo. Um, he was a dancer with me back in the day, as, as, as well as most of the choreographer directors on Broadway now. We were all dancers together. And uh, anyway, it was 2005, and Sergio calls me and goes, I'm choreographing this little workshop for this show called In the Heights. And we're doing the workshop at, at the O'Neill Center up in New London, Connecticut. And I, it's no money. But it's a really cool project, and I think you'd be right for the role of the father. I'm like, okay, great. Um, no money? And I live in L.A.? <laughs> um, he goes, listen, listen. I'm going to send you the CD. Listen to the music. You're going to love this. Cut to, I hear the CD. I call him. I say, who do I pay to get on this thing? Mm -hmm. um, and I end up, you know, in a little dorm room in London, Connecticut, working at the O'Neill, which is, by the way, probably one of the greatest places to do workshops at. It's such a beautiful place and the, the whole environment there to, to create and put a show together is just wonderful. And then I got to meet, you know, the gang, Lynn, Tommy, uh, Alex Lacamoire, uh, Chiara Alegria Hudes, you know, just the whole group that put together in the Heights. They're all youngins, you know, mm -hmm. back in 2005. And I just fell in love. And we're sitting at the little lunch room at the O'Neill. And Lynn and I are talking. And he goes, hey, I read your resume. You were in the bad video with Michael Jackson? 
It's my favorite video. I need to see you in this video. Hold on. He literally ran to his car, drove to like the nearest Target or Walmart that was out there, bought the DVD, came back, put it in his you know laptop and said, show me where you are. Show me in the video. Who are you? Where are you? I've seen this video a million times. Which, which one are you? I'm like, okay, let's go to the beginning. Okay, that's me. Okay, that's me there. And, you know, it, Scorsese directed the darn thing. And, and between Scorsese and, and Michael, two incredible... Um, I didn't know that. I have to interject. I had no idea that was a Scorsese project. That's amazing. Yeah. That's and amazing. It was one of those first, like, epic videos. It was, it was whole, like, yeah. hour yeah. Of, of story before the music video. And the, both of them were unbelievable perfectionists. So Scorsese had no problem doing 25 takes for every setup. And then Michael was like, yeah, let's do it again. He, right. let's do it again, you know, with his right, high voice. Right, right. Um, so what ended up, we were supposed to do a one-week shoot, ended up being a four-week shoot. Oh, my gosh. For just the music video. Yeah, that's it's a short even, movie. So one take, they're like, we're doing improvisational things, and we're, you know, moving in and out of the uh, of the front of the, of, the, of the gang. And I just did the freaking funky chicken. It just came <laughs> out of me. And I was like, the, the minute they said cut, I was like, oh no, oh no, I did the funky chicken. Oh no, <laughs> please, please God, let that not be the take they use. We've got 30 other takes. Right. They used the funky of, chicken. Of course oh, they did. On. Of course they did. And it's literally a, a second or two, you know, and if I don't point it out, you don't really see it. So I pointed it out to, to Lynn and of course he was tickled pink. So cut to... Um, I don't, I only did that one workshop, but when they went to Broadway, for whatever reason, um, I auditioned for Broadway. They, they were very sweet to me and they said, Rick, you just look too young to play opposite Priscilla Lopez. So we're going to pass. We can offer you the understudy. And I was like, not moving to New York from LA. It's just to understudy. I appreciate it. But I kept in touch and I was like, anytime, you know, something opens up, I'm here. The guy that they hired, who's wonderful, um, 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 lost his voice, and I ended up taking over the role. Mm. And uh, I, my first night on Broadway, um, a little nervous, you know, but I knew th- I knew the role, and um, I, you know, my first entrance in the show, I walk into the bodega and I look at Lynn and I go, "Good morning, Usnavi," and he looks at me and goes. Pan caliente café con leche. <laughs> the ultimate player, Lin-Manuel Miranda, trying to get me to crack on my first night on Broadway. Doing the funky chicken on Broadway. Oh my God. Did you crack? Did you laugh? Inside, I was dying. <laughs> I didn't let the shoulders go. You know, the shoulders tell everything. Right. The shoulders do tell everything. That's right. But, I did, but, oh, yeah. And literally, I just had one more line, and then I walked out. But it was, it was, yeah, it was heavenly. I'll never oh, how fun. That is so fun. That was a good one. Those are big moments. Those are big showbiz moments. Yeah. Like, your resume really are these beautiful, like, monumental credits how does how does that can you recognize that in yourself when you see that like moments oh, yeah. with michael big, jackson and yeah big milestones can. along yeah, the way sure. i remember i had just gotten my equity card doing a a, a hip-hop musical that reopened the um studio 54 theater after the disco heyday it was called street heat and then i w- i got an hbo commercial uh uh that was choreographed by Margot Sappington and everybody that was anybody as a dancer on Broadway was in it. And little old me that was just coming up, got into that commercial. And um, one of the girls that was in it was doing leader of the pack on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll never forget her, Shirley Black Brown. And she had a voice like this. Hey, Rick, you'd be great for our show. We're looking for somebody to replace um, uh, uh, Joey Sheck, uh, Joey Malone. Um, uh, who was leaving the show. And so I said, okay, great. And I, one day I remember I ran to the, um, where were they at? They were at the Ambassador Theater. And I ran to the Ambassador Theater after we finished shooting over at uh, Astoria Kaufman in Queens. And they were just ending their call. And I said, 
you know, Shirley Brack Brown told me to come in and audition. And he goes, come on in, come on in. And it was directed by Michael Peters, who choreographed Beat It and Thriller. Yeah, please leader, tell me you did the funky chicken. <laughs> no, I didn't. But leader of the pack was uh, Ellie Greenwich, one of those first big jukebox musicals. And I went in, auditioned, got home. They called me that night, said I got it, and it was my first Broadway show. And I'll never forget the very first number. And I'm dancing on stage, and I could feel the band coming mm. up to the stage through my mm. feet. And it's one of those moments where like, oh my God, this is my Broadway debut. I'm on Broadway! <laughs> and, and, and then you feel, and it was this amazing rock band and you could feel the music coming up through the boards and up mm. your feet. And How amazing. What so year was this? this? Well, I'm dating myself now. No, th- this is what I'm getting at. What was it? 1985. 1985. Wow. So my mind goes, he's telling this story with such uh, recall. And that's remarkable to me because I don't have that skill. So this is, I'm not being flippant in any way. Do you do any sort of exercises? Do you take ginkgo biloba? Like what do you do to stay so lucid in your head that you can literally recall back 40 years and say, I remember most moments. I remember who's choreographing, directing, who's alongside me. I don't have that skill. And it's truly enviable. You know, um, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't remember what I had for breakfast last week or did, you know, I don't have that short term memory, but those signposts in my life, those yeah. big moments in my life, they I remember those details. They sort of imprint on yeah. you. You know yeah. what I think it is too? I think dancers can be so in their bodies. You're so spatially aware and you're so in your body that maybe it hits a part of the brain that for we who, who don't have that developed as strongly, it just, maybe it's just something doesn't imprint the way it imprints so viscerally on you. And I'm, I'm, I'm your typical actor. I'm totally in the moment. I don't um, look ahead very much. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I think it's a, it's a function of being an actor that I don't plan ahead. Because the minute you plan a vacation, you plan to go have lunch with somebody, you get an audition and you have to cancel. So I don't plan ahead a lot. So I'm really in the moment a lot. And sometimes maybe to a fault, I'm in the past a little bit in my head. Hmm. I do think about those people. I do think about those times. Have your parents come from Puerto Rico to see you do a lot of stuff? You know, they saw me do early stuff like that. And um, this is another great story because when I finally got to do a lead on Broadway and in the Heights, my mom was really ill and she couldn't come up from Puerto Rico. And my dad was able to make the trip and, and, but mom couldn't. And I remember hearing that the national tour of In the Heights was going to Puerto Rico with Lynn going back into the role. Not, you know, a lot of sh- shows don't go to Puerto Rico. Just Lynn decides that this needs to happen. And, you know, all the sets get put on a, on a boat to go down there. And it's a lot of money, that's, which is why producers don't go to Puerto Rico. But Lynn made it happen for In the Heights. And I literally went up to Jeffrey Seller, our, our producer of Hamilton, who was a producer back then, and, and, and Lynn. And I said, you guys, my mom can't make it to, to New York. She's just not well. Is there any way that I could do this role in Puerto Rico? Aww. And they said, well, we'd have to ask Danny Bolero, who's playing the dad on, on the tour, see if he's be amenable to switching with you. Um, and he, you get to do it on Broadway. That's not too shabby for a week. And literally they worked it out. And I know it cost them more money to switch us, wow. you know, and to send my costumes and all that. But literally that happened. And I, w- I got to do the role in Puerto Rico and talk about, you know, Groundhog Day. Uh, I got to Puerto Rico and I've been doing the show for a year and suddenly it's a new set and it's a new cast. And and I'm like, I know the show, but this feels weird. Yeah. Um, but uh, I had the time of my life uh, doing it th- down there. And my mom got to see me. That's such yeah, a great story. And she, a- you know, she was the drama teacher that, that she is the reason oh. I am. Who I am. So okay, she was the drama teacher, and that's what got you into all of this as a, as a 10-year-old when you started. I blame her. It's oh, all that, she must have been that, so proud of you. She must have been over the moon. And then that is to go such there. a testament. That is such a testament to asking. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we just don't ask. And sometimes I think we really underestimate what those answers could possibly be. Really well, Lynn, Lynn seems like a truly incredible person to where I've never met him. I've never worked with him, but boy, what a, what a force, what a, a human he just gets down to the human level and seems like he actually really cares about so many things, not just to put his press out there, but actually truly cares about what he's doing and the people he's doing it with. He has an enormous heart. It really comes down to that. And he was raised in the community and by incredible parents that it's all about community for him. Mm-hmm. And I think about it, um, the cast that he put together, the, the people involved in the show, everybody's really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, there are no real divas, which is wonderful. And I think that's, that's sort of, yeah, you have to come in with the goods at the audition, but you also need to get along. And if you do, uh, you know, they've created this environment where everybody gets along and everybody's supportive. Well, and they, they put everybody through the ringer, uh, audition-wise, by the way. Uh, there's famous story. I, I auditioned for a solid year before I got the role. And I had all, before I got the role of, of the king. And I had worked with them before. Yeah. So it, it, it takes a while. But I think also it took a while because they wanted me to do Puerto Rico. And I think I'm glad that they waited f- for me to do Puerto Rico, go back to Puerto Rico with him. Do you miss Puerto Rico, Rick? Do you get back to see family? It's funny. I've been gone so long that it, it feels like another lifetime mm. ago. Mm. Um, going back, you know, it's funny. We, we opened this company, Hamilton opened in Puerto Rico and I hadn't been home in two years um, before the, the bad hurricanes and um, just going back, it, and when I spent a month, I hadn't spent that much time in Puerto Rico since I was in high school. Wow. Um, or in college. No, I would go back for the summers during college. Um, and it's changed a lot. It's not the place I grew up in. You know, it's, it's, we can all say that about wherever we grew up, you know, it's mm-hmm. not the same. The culture's different now. You know, I remember growing up, we could play outside till late at night. Nowadays, all the all the neighborhoods are gated and and everybody's, you know, everybody's doing play dates. Uh, You know, it it just it's not the place I grew up in. However, the thing I love about it is the people are amazing Mm -hmm. and it's still a really beautiful island uh, wherever you go. And this is probably true about Uruguay or many Latin American countries that having you know, haven't crossed over to the dark side yet. Um, I remember going to this little restaurant in San Juan and it was packed. It was a really popular seafood place. And we, my brother and I and, and, my, and, our, and our wives, we were, the four of us were together and um, we were waiting at the bar and the bar was at least three deep. It was just packed. And there were people at the bar and I'm standing there with my brother. We were all shoulder to shoulder. And I see this couple at the bar and she's eating this really popular food that's like a little it looks like a little mini hot dog but it's basically filled with cheese and it's 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 a corn dog with cheese on the no no dog inside it me up yes yes it's basically a mini corn dog and inside is cheese it's no no hot dog in the middle it's amazing and um and they're called sorullitos and i looked at my brother and i went oh my in spanish oh my god they have sorullitos here like that, like this is my favorite thing. And literally the girl looked up at me, took her plate and said, they're delicious. You want some? Uh, Stranger. Yeah. And I'm like, that's Puerto Rico. Stranger, but not a stranger. But not right? a stranger. That's the beauty. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. was it, Did would you eat in Puerto Rico much like Uruguay? You know, you start talking about dinner around nine o'clock. Should you get the asado ready? And then by 1130, <laughs> you're just starting little nibbles. By 1 p. one a.m., you're having actual dinner. <laughs> you're, planning, you're planning your next meal while you're having the previous meal. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which is basically what we did during the pandemic. <laughs> well, that's true, too. That's true, too. But you're right. Everything. Everything centers around the food. Everything centers about every the entire family sitting down together. Yeah. That's still true. You know, I really miss that. When I was a kid, when I was growing up, a very Italian family. And Sunday dinner, two o'clock, it didn't matter what you were doing. It didn't matter who you were with. You stopped 
you came home, you sat down and you had Sunday dinner. And that was the rule. And you could bring your friend if you wanted, but you did not miss it. And we don't do that anymore. We, I, we don't have Sunday dinners anymore. It's, I feel yeah. kind of sad that my son never experienced that. We're still trying to keep it together here. We really are. One of the reasons why we thought this mini chapter of our life was to come back to California was to kind of start grounding ourselves in that way. Question for you, ML. In your family, was it pasta and sauce or was it macaroni and gravy? No matter it's, the noodle, did they call it macaroni and gravy? Pasta and gravy. It's pasta always gravy. gravy. It's no, not, not sauce. sauce. Yeah. No. Sauce okay. is ketchup. <laughs> gravy. And Steph, you're half Italian, right? I am. Yes. My maternal grandmother is from Trieste, which is north. Um, and then my maternal grandfather is from Calabria, Calabrese. And he's very close to Sicily, but not yeah. quite that south. Yeah. 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 The upper part right. of the boot. Negron. My dad finally found out after he went to he went back to Spain and to figure out where it came from. Yeah. Which originally Negroni. We're from Genoa. Come on. No kidding. Yeah. So the drink, the the Negroni was developed by some Lothario Duke from Genoa. Some lady chaser, you know, who (laughs) drank all day. Um, and, and that's who he came up with the Negroni. So everybody knows the drink, but literally the Negronis moved during Roman times to Spain and it was Northern Spain, which is now Southern France. There's a village in the Loire Valley called the Negron, the village of Negron, but we haven't found very many Negrons outside of Puerto Rico. So either they were they had some Jew in them and they were getting, you know, getting the hell out of Spain because of the Inquisition and they went to the New World. Who knows what they were chasing or what they were running away from. But that's we're we're freaking Italian. I love it. Frick, are you a yoga teacher? I, I've taught. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a yoga teacher, but I've taught. What did you teach? What kind do you do? What kind do you love? What kind did you teach? Um, a very good friend of mine introduced me to and he's a big time yoga teacher throughout Internationally, his name is Rod Stryker, and he taught uh, a a version of Hatha um, that he sort of has melded. And I have to say, um, doing King George, I had a cold when we first started rehearsals in 2018, and it never went away. And it just kept coming back and back and back. And I was sick through a lot of the rehearsal process. And I stopped drinking any kind of alcohol, stopped drinking coffee, totally. Coffee. totally like strained out my diet, even though it wasn't really bad before then. I've always had a pretty decent diet, but I got super clean just to get healthy. Mm. And it, and it's kind of stuck with King George. Um, I, I, you know, I have to get at least seven to eight hours a night. I have to do my yoga every day. I have to eat right. Uh, I have to stay away from dairy and sugar. And as long as I do that, I can count on my voice being there. And Mary Lee, it's a game changer. When I do yoga and then I vocalize, whole nother ball of wax. Really? If I try to to warm up my voice without doing yoga, it takes longer. It's more uh, laborious. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yoga. You attribute that to tension. You attribute the lack of sort of space in your voice for all this tension. And just, it warms everything up. I mean, it just pre-warms your, your vocal cords, your body. It gets you out of your head sure. and more into your body, all of that. So that when I go do my vocal warm up, 10, 15 minutes, I'm good. I'm good to go. That's great. Yeah. Are you a vegan too? Cause I heard you talk about veganism before. So my wife is, and oh, we is were she? vegan for a very long time. Um, but we, we started introducing um, fish and eggs, uh, so ovo-pescatarian, into our diet because we didn't feel we were getting enough protein. Um, but recently, of course, we saw seaspiracy and decided, oh, we can't eat any more fish. So fish has sort of gone out of the, the diet. Um, yeah, we're those crunchy granola L.A. people. Um, if you go back to Puerto Rico and you're in that bar <laughs> and that little cheesy corn dog situation is in your face... You're not saying no, no. <laughs> it's Maybe going that, down your gullet, chicken yeah, dancer. It's yeah. going down your gullet. <laughs> as, as, as well as the uh, the little piece of pork on the side there. Yes. 
And Listen, you got to be flexible. Life is about flexibility. This is yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. There's always an asterisk somewhere with subject to change based on, <laughs> and then you can fill in the blank. Honestly, yeah. as long as you're not hurting yourself or others, <laughs> that little asterisk can change a lot of things. It's like a cheat day. You know, I can be good for five, six days a week and I can have a cheat day. Absolutely. Sure. A little bacon here and there. Come on. Absolutely. <laughs> I was a vegetarian for a long time. And when I finally stopped and I had my first piece of bacon i was like holy crap this is so good when you're on the road is it difficult to kind of stay to um that higher standard of what you eat and your schedule of yoga and meditation right it's not easy not easy at all and you know thank god for airbnbs because i and and i'm driving a lot of the tour so i have a whole kitchen kit I travel with my knives. I travel with with a you know with um, food, and I I I have to say I eat eighty percent of my meals at home. That's great. Um, just on on two show days, I might you know get something some takeout somewhere. And now with the pandemic, I never sit inside a restaurant. I'm sorry, no, I'm I know. afraid I know. of of sitting inside anywhere. Uh, if it doesn't have an outdoor seating, I'm it's takeout, and I'm bringing it back to my place. Um, and what um, does the tour schedule look like right now for and Peggy? Are you guys sitting down for a good week or two, maybe three or four, or are you on the move a lot? Um, it, it, it bounces back and forth. So it's between three and four okay. uh, is the average. That's not um, bad, Rick. That's no. not bad. Six yeah. weeks in Denver in, in the late uh, winter. So that'll be nice. And we're staying on the in the Western states, which makes it easy. I, I pretty much fly home every weekend right now. Nice. To be with, you know, one day with my with my lovely wife, keep the home fires burning. You know, being on the road and having a relationship is always tough. But, um, you know, we've been through a lot. We've been married a long time. So um, we're, we're, we're going to make it happen. And she's so supportive. So I'm beyond grateful. What did it look like coming from New York? When did you get to the West Coast and how was that transition for you? Because that's where I met you. I met you in LA doing Call Me Madam. And again, I have no, it could have been 1993, could have been 2001, could have, I have no <laughs> You're lucky she knows your name is Rick. So, right. It was the late, it was the late 90s. It was the late 90s. Okay. Um, um, I, I'd, I'd have to do a lot of uh, thinking right now to to nail it down, but, uh, but it how was, long had you been in New York? Uh, pardon me. How long had you been in LA? Yeah. Before I met you. So I was course boy in New York, and I understudied the leads a lot. You know, almost every show I did on Broadway, I understudied the lead, and. I ended up feeling like I was always the bridesmaid and never the bride. Uh-huh. And at, at that time in the in the 90s in New York, it was a lot of TV stars were getting leads on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So in the back of my mind, I thought, well, if I move to L.A. and I, you know, can get a, a name, uh, some sort of name, I can go back to New York and, and get the lead again, you know. Um, so I, I was doing um, The Goodbye Girl and a fellow castmate had a place in L.A. and he said, hey, I'm going to L.A., I could use a roommate and it just, all the, all the, all the planets aligned for me. So I moved to LA. That was right after the Northridge earthquake, which was, I think, 93, 94 around there. That's a good benchmark. um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Milestone. Mm -hmm. Right after the Northridge earthquake. And um, I moved to LA and it was sort of very strange, you know, LA is strange and I couldn't figure it out. And I was unhappy and um, just because you had, I had no friends, I had no, you know, I had this incredible community in New York and it was gone and I couldn't get a job. And finally, I got a catering job and that's where I met my wife. And once I met my wife, she grew up in L.A. She went to Beverly Hills High, 90210. Oh. So she, and she was an ex-dancer and she was an actress and we had all these things in common. And suddenly her family and her friends became mine. And I suddenly had an mm-hmm. instant community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, L.A., as far as a TV actor, film actor, didn't really end up working out for me. I don't think L.A. knew what to do with me. Negron, you don't look Hispanic. You look mm-hmm. Italian. You, you know, you're not right for the white guy. And I just, I ended up falling through the cracks a lot. And I also realized I'm not the greatest auditioner, especially for TV and film. 
I, I would I would get some TV gigs, and I remember, you know, you barely get to rehearse. You have to do all the rehearsing your own and on your own, and then you get on set and you do it, and you walk away and going, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, I didn't enjoy the process. And I realized I'm the guy that needs to marinate in a role for four weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, I need that Broadway rehearsal process, and I get better the longer I'm in a show. I'm in a show for a year. After a year, I'm I'm doing great. Two years. I'm even doing better. Okay, I don't so get that's stable. why that's why three minutes in an audition room or ten minutes in an audition room isn't your jam. That's not no. where you live at yeah. all. Okay, at all. And um and and anyway, so I ended up in, in in LA and I got a voiceover career and I was doing commercials and still catering here and there, and still getting called to do shows like Sergio calling me to do In the Heights or. Uh, I remember Albie Marr, who was the original director of Man La Mancha. I had done La Mancha with Raul Julia on Broadway. And he called me out of the blue and said, uh, this is right before we did Ragtime, Mary Lee. And he called, the, the director called me and he said, hey, we're doing, we're doing Man La Mancha on the road with Robert Goulet. Uh, you want to come? You'll play the lead muleteer and you get to sing with Robert Goulet. And I'm like, I'm so freaking in. <laughs> On the on the road with Goulet? Talk about stories. Oh my God. Gosh, give us one. Yes. Just give us one good one. Nashville, Tennessee. We're uh, backstage. He's singing um, um, Impossible Dream. And literally, this is what we hear. To dream. That beautiful voice. Of oh, it. sure, sure, sure. To dream the impossible dream. To carry moonbeams home in a jar. <laughs> I only laugh. Because I've been there, and I think most of us have at one point. If it rhymes, the audience won't know. If it's English language, just keep on trucking. You'll find your way back home to the lyric. He was infamous for, for just making shit up. And, and, to his and did credit, he have a sense of humor about it? Was he cool about it or defensive? No. 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 Okay. Not we, cool. Oh, our, uh, David Wasson, who was the – I think he was the padre on that tour – he cataloged all the, you know, he wrote them down. Oh, and then, man. And then, they roast, and then when the show closed, they roasted him. I wasn't there. I had left the show to do Ragtime in L.A. And they roasted him at, at the final show. And he was not amused. He did not uh. like it. Goulet is this kooky guy. And he would forget his lyric or he'd forget his line. And Sancho Panza next to him knew every line, every lyric, and would oh. feed it to him. Oh, how interesting. Which, and, and which because, mirrors the character, right? And he was playing this mind. crazy guy and he was, it sure. was perfect for him. Wow. It was perfect because he was this nutty guy anyway, you know, at the right. time. This was not But too... still charming and still winning and still accessible, and but yet he's voice. lost his mind. Oh, wow. You're staying with this beautiful show and huge global smash hit for as long as you can. Is that your plan or... Listen, I've been in this business a long time. Yeah. I earned this princess track where I'm on stage for 10 minutes and I get all the love. So I'm not leaving anytime soon until they carry my dead, rotting body out of the theater. Well, I saw you. You're fantastic. And it's true. I mean, just your entrance alone gets entrance applause. Every laugh is beautifully crafted, beautifully performed as well. But the role is just so crafted. Yeah, it's a great role. That if you cast the right actor, such as Rick Negron, you're going to hit every beat and it really is like a feast for you and a feast for the audience in in 10 minutes in 15 minutes yeah it must feel wonderful because every time you walk out the audience is so happy to see yeah. you we get to laugh yeah 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 now i will say this you know and i've had many talks with uh my my dressing roommate uh darnell abraham who plays george washington who's, who's incredible He's got yeah. this, edible. this voice that's all molasses and beauty um darnell and i have great conversations and we realize also yeah it's a it is the princess track but it also it's tough suddenly you come on stage out of nowhere there's no warm-up and you sing this big big song and you're alone on stage and uh you know you you kind of get shot out of a cannon a bit so it, it does come with its its little you know 
idiosyncrasies. And, yeah, and sure. so you have to be on top of your game. Um, not, not super easy. Uh, you have to get your adrenaline going a, a couple minutes before every time you step back on stage. Cause I yeah. do find that if it is a role where I've got a chunk of time, whether you define that as 10 minutes or a half hour, and you've got to rev yourself back up to get on stage. I remember this playing Liza and the boy from Oz. My second act was really light, man. You could get cozy in that dressing room and trying to coach yourself to get back up there was really, really challenging. And I put the timer on because if I'm reading a book or I'm doing something else, I you don't 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 miss your entrance. So I put my timer on and I'm cool. And literally I'll, I'll put the timer on so I have five minutes before I have to leave my dressing room. And then I'll 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 do some limbering up of my body first and then I'll do a little bit of vocalization just to, you know, knock off the rust. Yeah. And then and then okay, we're ready to go. Let's go again. Bring 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 the energy level back up. Yeah. Technical question. Are you guys traveling with um not only a wardrobe supervisor, but a skeleton team of dressers so they know the show, or do you have to introduce a whole local crew of dressers every time you step into a new city and theater? Yeah, we are the 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 form I mean the latter. Um we have uh, wardrobe soup and the associate. Mm-hmm. So we have two people that travel with us. Hamilton has a, a, a small group of people that they send to every tour that moves into a new city so that they help train the dressers at each city. So it's kind of genius. When we show up in a new city, we have two or three people that come from New York just to get the dressers up to speed. Wow, great. Um, and, and so that's how they do it. I, I'm not sure how the other shows do it. I, I think some shows that are probably costume heavy, like this one, might have more of a skeleton that travels with us. I know our musicians have been traveling with us, almost all of them. But that may change in certain cities because certain cities have union rules where you have to hire locally. So, And do you know how many are in the pit? How many musicians do you have? Uh, let's see. We have four strings, two violin, a cello, and a viola, um, a guitar, bass, um, two keyboard, and two drummers. That's 10. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's a beautiful uh, pit. I mean, the whole show is, is just sound, really special. It's, it's just magic. Genius. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Yeah, it's and, a my, and I keep telling people the reason it's genius is because it really comes back to what theater is. It's a collaboration. And every element of the show is people working at the top of their game. And they had worked together, so they had a shorthand when Hamilton came back. Came back. And so that also, I think, had a lot to do with it. Here they come, our five questions. If you could go back to that teenage self, Puerto Rico, what would you tell him? What advice would you give him? You're good enough. You're good enough. I didn't believe it. But here you are. Believe it now, though. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) Is there a good luck charm or a uh, ritual that you do before any sort of big event or the opening of a show or before you step on stage? Always, always take big, deep breaths before I go on stage. And that's just part of the yoga, just to calm. Even after doing a show for two years, I have to chill my jets. I really do have to calm myself down. Okay. Um, If you could have any ability whether it be a superpower or just a normal old ability, and you could just have it tomorrow, what would it be? Oh, my God. You know, the first thing that came to mind was, God, I want to fly so bad. <laughs> um, but, but that seems to me now, it seems to be a little bit um, narcissistic. Because um, if I had an ability, it would be to have the solution to end the suffering in the world. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I'd love to have the key to homelessness. I'd love to have the key to uh, racial inequality. I'd love to have the answers, the solutions for, for big, big problems. I like that uh, we've one. never had that answer. And that's, that's a beautiful such one. a, it speaks highly of who you are. So this question is going to seem ridiculous. If we were to <laughs> go into your closet, would we find a piece of clothing that you've had through the years or something that has such sentimentality that you will never, ever get rid of? Yeah. And it's funny because um, I never felt that close to my grandfather. And this is my, my dad's dad. 
But when he passed away, my brother and I uh, went into his closet and we took some of his shirts. And to this day, I have one of my grandfather's shirts and my grandfather passed away at least 40 years ago. So this shirt is easily 60 years old. And I still have, it's made out of like indestructible rayon, (laughs) (laughs) but I still have a shirt. And what's funny is that um, I started writing about my childhood and it ended up being the story about my grandfather during the pandemic i just i've never been a writer but i just started writing and i started and it's now it's it's sort of like a family history story and it and now it's turned into a little bit of his, historical fiction um what did he do your grandfather um my grandfather was born in the late 1800s and he um he ran away from home at the age of 11 or 12 and walked from some little town in the middle of Puerto Rico to a big city on the coast. I, I think it was like a, a 12 hour walk. He probably did it barefoot. And he walked into a tailor shop and said, I'd like to learn to be a tailor and I'll sleep under that table there. And he did. Wow. And then, you know, he went from extreme poverty to having a vocation and then save, scrimping and saving every penny he ever earned and sent his children to college in the States and build an apartment complex in San Juan, about seven blocks away from the theater that I did Hamilton at. Wow. If you were a nail polish color, what color would you be and what would the cheeky little name be? (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay. This, yeah, I'm totally civil. Um, I want to be vamp. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) I want to be that vampy, you know, that dark maroony red. Yes. But the softer, gentler side of me loves that robin's egg blue, you know, Tiffany box mm-hmm. color too. Mm-hmm. So, what are you talking about? What that one. You mean? <laughs> yeah, the one these Stephanie Block has on right now. So, what's the name of it? What's your cheeky little name? I do like robin's egg blue. It's very <laughs> Yes. Blue. Well, and you'll be happy to know LaChance was also rusty red. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, so, this was the best. Oh, I love your stories. I flew. literally could sit here for two more hours yeah, with you and hear really more flew. stories. I got two more hours of stories. I do. <laughs> You're the best. I appreciate you taking the time and doing this. I know how hard it is to be on the road. And this was just a joy. Thank Go you. So to great bed. to see you. Thank both you. Of you. Bye. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after this break? Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our theme song says, love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life. And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that gives you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. And right now, Stages cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp, so don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash Stages, and love where you are now. Well, that was just good, plain fun. I love someone who can tell and someone who can even remember all the anecdotal stories and silliness and stuff that happens backstage because it really is so common. If you look at what we do and how ridiculous it is, it's like, okay, we're going to shove 150 people between those that are on stage, front of house, backstage. You're all going to be shoved into this little space where your lives converge. I mean, it's bound to be a pool full of stories from the day and people in corners whispering and laughing and telling jokes. And, and, and that's kind of the energy that carries through in this episode. And I just find it amazing that he has retained all of these special stories and they still fuel his joy and fuel his passion for the art form. I have a tendency to forget and then someone will remind me. And then of course I'm, you know, on the ground rolling around in tears because it's so funny, but for some reason, I don't know, I don't hold on to them, but he was holding on to them like, 
almost like a Valentine mm. to, to theater and those that take part in telling stories. Yeah. I have a terrible, terrible memory for names and dates and things. I remember moments, but I don't remember names and dates. And I remember the details that make something funny, but I never remember the details that, you know, <laughs> that are right. like, I was on the corner of 54th and I was like, how does he even remember these things? Um, and then you're so funny. Do you take ginkgo biloba? (laughs) What do you do? How? (laughs) Well, you even said it. You're like, there's something about a dancer and the way their mind informs their body. So it's interesting, you know, is his body kind of retaining the memory and then it gets filed in the brain or does his brain absorb all of that? And he's so used to absorbing whether it's choreography or direction, and then his body takes over. But you said multiple times, you know, you're just so in your body. You're yeah. so in your body. Yeah, if you is. are, maybe you're walking through experiences and, and memories in a different way. You know, you know I think that there's something to it being cultural too. There are mm. certain cultures that kind of revere the past mm. more. I know that the Mediterranean culture is like that, right? And so I wonder if maybe that's part of his culture, you know, he just comes from a culture that reveres the past, the grandparents, you know, he talked about his grandparents. So maybe yeah. it's cultural as well. Yeah. And food. That's another cultural thing. I also found that interesting as someone who we've both been on tour for a long time, actually. Um, and I just found it interesting that he's decided to bring his like kitchen knives. You know, it's, <laughs> know. when you look at people and you're like, you're going to go on tour for a year or perhaps more, <laughs> and you only have a big old suitcase and then a trunk. And this trunk, it is quite large, but when you're looking at a grown up, like a true adult person who's going out into the world and what they choose to put in that trunk that meets them at their hotel when they arrive at a new town, I always found that so interesting. It's like, what did that person have to bring from their home in order to feel um, comfortable wherever they went. And when he said kitchen knives, I was like, oh gosh, there couldn't have been something further from what my, you know, would be in my trunk. I am a nester and I did carry with me, you know, a couple of like throw pillows to spice up different um, hotel rooms I was in. There was always like a bath rug because I felt kind of icky with the bath rugs that were in the hotels. I wanted something that was my own. Um, truly, if I'm on a desert Island, I am going to have like an 18 times magnifying mirror and my tweezers. That's a have to, that's a must for me. What do you have to bring when you go on tour? What do you have to have in order to feel like you are complete Mary Lee on tour? Isn't that funny? I, I think for me, it's photographs. I bring, I bring pictures. Yeah. But even now, like with cell phones, I don't think I'd bring that because they're all on your cell phone. I I don't think, what would I have to bring? I know what I would have to bring. Essential oils. I'd have to bring like oh, the perfumes sure. that I make and like a, yes. a, a, a atomizer, that kind of thing for all my yeah. oils. I think that and like to clear the room, sage the room and stuff. But I don't think there's much else that I would have to to bring. It's important. And the smells, I'm with you. I think smells are really, really important. Yeah. But just that he's, he brought his kitchen kitchen knife and and spices and, you know, he needed that to feel whole. I didn't speak up in the middle of the interview, but he said something along the lines of, you know, when I was on Broadway, I never quite was getting the starring role. So I thought if I moved to LA and made Mm. a name for myself in television, I could go back to Broadway and then hopefully garner some starring roles. And that sort of mentality, because I know then a lot of people in LA are like, well, if I get to New York and I can just get a couple of Broadway credits. Yeah, it validates my my career. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But there is this sort of catch 22, but the hopefulness in all of these artists that say, well, if I go down this path and just acquire this, right, then that will lead to my ultimate goal, which is this. And I find beauty in that sort of um, belief that, that those opportunities are waiting for you and the hopefulness that those opportunities are waiting for you. But I never felt that way. I felt more like, Hey, if this is truly my ultimate goal and this is my ultimate dream, I'm just going to keep plugging away in this particular medium until, until I make my mark. Did you ever want to get to LA and, and try the television film thing? Well, I had a show that brought me out to LA and I really, LA was just kind of not for me. My dream was always stage. 
always. Now, I think if I were, you know, young now and starting out, I would do TV first because there's so much good TV. Yeah. There's a lot of content. There's so much great TV out there now that I think I would have switched it up. If I were 20, I would have gone out to LA first if I were starting over now in this climate and, and done it in reverse. But for me, I was so stubborn. I was like, nope, theater's all I want. That's it. I'm going to New York. And, and I'm much more of a New Yorker than I am uh, a California person, even though I prefer the warmth. Um, but that was advice that I got from someone when I was about 27. They said, go to LA and like, you know, you're almost too old now for LA. Oh, and I wow. thought that was kind of bad too. At I remember 27. Yeah. They were trying to age you out at 27. I actually met with an agent. So I had gone on for the lead and an agent was in the audience and he called me in. This is out in LA. And he said to me, here's the problem. You're almost 30, which basically is 35. And I'm going to, it's going to take me five years to invest in you. And by that time you'll be 40 and nobody wants a 40 year old. Oh oh my gosh. He literally said that to me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going back to New York where 30 is young. You've just erased 15 years of my life. Yep. And that was, that was the calculation. Look, whether it's an agent or a friend or a co-creative in your, if all they can see are the negatives and all the things that are stacked against you, that wasn't an agent or a person that you wanted in your life. Anyway, I think even if this person, I'm going to assume it's a guy, but that's not a fair assumption. Yes, it was. It was a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I would have said, man, I I don't think I want to work with you anyway, with all due respect. You're such a Debbie. Why does Debbie Downer? Why does the Downer have to be a woman? Can it be Daniel Downer? You're such a Daniel Downer. (laughs) I don't want to walk this journey with you. Well, I did say that. I said, you know what? I'm going back to New York because in New York, 30 is still young. There you go. I'll see you later. But I, but you know, that was sort of my intro to the acting scene in LA. And I thought, this is just not for me. It's just not for me. Even Rick said, you know, I don't think LA knew what to do with me. And I think now we have changed our mindset. It's like, as long as I know what to do with me, as long as I know what I bring to the table, then the rest of it can turn out positive and great. Or they can say, no, thank you, but I'm not going to take it personally because I am very clear on who I am and and what I bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a long time ago. So, you know, hopefully we're a little smarter, kinder, and and wiser. That's the Sesame Street logo, isn't it? Right? Is Um, it? Have you, have you what you haven't watched Sesame Street lately, but <laughs> someone has a little kid in the house. You're getting smarter, stronger, kinder on Sesame Street. Ooh. You know what though? Yeah. If you're two or 62, we still need to, That's we right, still baby. need to think about those, baby. You're getting That's smarter, right. stronger, stronger, kinder. So who knows if you would have met with that agent today, he would have had a completely different take. I would have sung him the Sesame Street theme song and walked out you of there. Would have. In your straight tone with just a little vibrato at the end and then giving him the finger and walked right out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. All right, girlfriend. Go get Love stronger, mm-hmm. wiser, mm-hmm. kinder. Mm-hmm. See you later. On stages podcast. Ooh. Ooh. Hold on. We're gonna get screwed. <gasps> we better hang out. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.